Hebrews chapter 13. As you'll probably remember from last week, if you were here, this is part two of a message that we started last week, looking at verse 17. If you weren't here last week, you really want to get that message. You really do. It's really, uh, it's going to balance this one. You must get that message. You can get it at our CD table, DVD table. You can get it on our website for free on video or download the audio. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it a ton of ways. But if you weren't here last week, get that message. It's very, very important. So last week, we talked about the responsibility of leadership. And this week, we're talking about the responsibility to leadership. So last week, what we can expect from leaders in the church. And this week, what we can expect from the congregation, from the church, as it pertains to interacting with leaders. Our text is verse 17 of Hebrews 13. It says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that the church is not about us, that it's about you. And we want to remember that this morning, Jesus that the church is about you. It's not about leaders. It's not about the congregation. It's not about our successes and our failures. It's about you, Jesus, and your work, your success, your winning on the cross, your redemption of humanity for your purposes and your glory. And though this morning, because the text confronts us, we need to talk about our various roles and responsibilities. Jesus, we say together, we want you to be the center. We don't want to become too self-focused. And we don't want it to be about us. And we don't want the church to be a human institution. We want it to be the living organism of Christ's body. And so, Jesus, come and invade our hearts and our minds this morning. Jesus, you are the very word of God. Be made manifest in our midst through the word. You're the reason that we're here. We got up early this morning. We made our way here for you. We love you. You're the one who has saved us. You're the one that we are fascinated with, obsessed with. You're the one that we want. So Jesus, come. Be bigger than anything else that would enter our minds this morning. And help us, Lord, by grace, to be faithful to your scriptures for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're talking about this text of obeying your leaders within the church because it's the text that is next in the book of Hebrews. As I said last week, I don't have an axe to grind. There's nothing that's bugging me. I, I don't have an itch to scratch. It's just where we are in the text. And generally speaking, we study the text here, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we take the word of God as it comes. If you're visiting this morning, I'm sorry for you. (laughs) Maybe come back another day. Because if you're visiting this morning and you've not been part of a church or you have been and you've had bad church experiences, then this is going to be a sore spot for many people. You're already expecting there to be an abuse of authority and power amongst the leadership of the church. 
And so you've come this morning hoping to get Jesus, and here's this text that talks about obeying leaders. So I would just ask for you to maybe try again, come next week or in a few weeks, and, you know, just try again. Anyway, when we read this passage, it immediately comes to mind that this passage, like so many others in Scripture, can easily be abused. And this passage, like so many others in Scripture, has been abused. And we could spend hours pointing to history and to current church culture and look at all the ways that this has been horribly abused and the detriment that it's been not only to the church, but to the name of Christ as well. And we realize that in this passage, there is that risk, and it's the risk of sinful people. It's the risk of fallen humanity, of egocentric, self-centered, power-hungry people. And yet in the church, because the church consists of people, we run this risk. But this is why we endeavor to have a strong Christology, a strong perspective on Christ. We keep him the center and it mitigates and it minimizes the risk of sinful man. We keep Jesus big in our midst and primary in our hearts and in our gatherings to mitigate the folly of man. But certainly this is a passage that has lent itself to abuse, to harmful authoritarianism in the church. And for that, as a leader in the church, I'm sorry. For what it's worth, I'm, I'm sorry to the church. I'm sorry to culture. I'm sorry to Jesus for the way the leadership has failed. And many times it's been a fundamental failure to heed the words of Christ in Mark chapter 10 where his disciples were striving for position. They wanted places of authority and recognition. And Christ had to deal with them on this issue several times in the Gospels. And once again, it says in Mark 10, verse 42, that Jesus called the disciples to himself and he said to them, you guys know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. Jesus, in a few words, reverses the whole ideology of the world. That those who want to be the greatest shall make themselves servants. And he said, it's not to be in the church and among the leaders of the church the way it is in the world. And yet, those words of Jesus have been greatly ignored. That it's not so among you. And the church in so many ways has modeled itself after the world, looked like the world, and acted on worldly principles. And it's been a fundamental failure to heed the words of Christ, who is the head of the church. But the early leaders in the church got it. They got what Jesus said, and they echoed it. Paul echoed it in 2 Corinthians and said, not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you 
for your joy. And Peter, who was there that day, he got it. He said in his first epistle to other elders that we're not to be lording it over those allotted to our charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And yet there is in Scripture this strange dichotomy that leaders in the church are servant leaders, but they certainly do have authority. There's this strange dichotomy. It's a both-and situation like so many things in the Bible. They're servant leaders who are to be servants of all, not anything like leaders in the world, and yet they are given authority and they're to rightly and effectively wield it within the church. That dichotomy exists and you can't escape it. As Christians, we need to deal with the both-and dichotomies of Christianity. And Jesus is really our model for that. Because think, think of the dichotomy of Christ. Think of Jesus. He is both. The one who in John chapter 13 knelt down and washed the feet of the disciples, did what none of the disciples were willing to do for each other. Christ did for them. Took the place of the lowest slave in the household. And yet he is the Christ of Revelation 19. With a diadem upon his head and his eyes a flaming fire. The Lord of Lord and the King of Kings who will judge and rule over the nations. He is not either or, he is both and. We see this very dichotomy in the person of Christ. He is both the lion and the lamb. And we need to deal with that. He is both the lion and the lamb. And leaders within the church are both humble servant leaders and yet they are given and expected to rightly wield a great degree of authority within the church. And that's just the reality of it. But we need to preface all these ideas with the overarching fact that leaders in the church are to be humble servants who are accountable to Christ. They will give an account to the chief shepherd as under shepherds. And they are accountable to the others. And because they represent Jesus and they're stewards of what is precious to him, his truth and his church, leaders need to walk in a way which is incredibly circumspect, totally yielded to Christ, desperate for Christ. And they simply cannot lead from themselves or for themselves. And this is a constant prayer of the leadership of this church. We pray all the time. Lord, don't let us rule in our own wisdom or according to our own will or in our own strength because it's not our church, it's your church. It's not our truth, it's your truth. And so Lord, forbid us from leading from ourselves and for ourselves. And I want to temper our text this morning by saying that leaders in the church are not to be obeyed unconditionally. They're not to be obeyed unconditionally. And here we have to strike a balance. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and so we should expect our leaders to lead according to the will of God. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter. We should expect them to lead according to the will of God. If they are not... 
if there are outright contradictions with or inconsistencies with the person of Christ and the word of God, if leadership is in clear violation of the spirit of scripture and the character of Christ, then we ought not to obey. We ought not to submit. And yet, temper and balance that idea with this reality that we spoke of last week. That we can never expect our leaders to be perfect. We should never expect them to be spotless and without blemish. To do so is to dishonor Christ. For only Christ is spotless and blameless and without blemish. Only Christ is the perfect one. And to expect anything even approaching that from our leaders is to dishonor Christ. And so then true submission, listen to me, true submission is humility that is willing to obey and yield and follow leadership that is imperfect. That's the reality in the church. We're going to have to obey and submit to imperfect, flawed leadership. It ought not to be biblically aberrant. It ought to be in violation of the spirit of Scripture and the character of Christ. But it will not be perfect. And the submission that is expected is a humble submission that is willing to follow even imperfect leadership. We've got to come to grips with that. And we do so. We submit to leadership, not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is. That is fundamental. We do not do this because of who they may be, but because of who Jesus is. This is always, always the basis for biblical submission in all relationships. Ephesians says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord because of who Christ is, not because of who they are. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Slaves, submit to your masters as to Christ, not as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. The basis for biblical submission is because of who Jesus is, not because of who people are. If we base our submission on who people are, we will always fail. It's not to be based on that. It's who Christ is. And all of this talk of submission and submitting to leaders in the church is set in the overarching Christian theme of mutual submission. Again, Ephesians 5, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The overarching tone and tenor and methodology of the church is that we are a people who show preference and deference to one another. We are a people who are humbly esteeming others as more important than ourselves. And there should be a sense of mutual submission and honor invading all that we do. In the fear of Christ, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are and because of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
And yet as we talk about congregation submitting to leaders, mutual submission is the overarching Christian theme. And we need to remind ourselves, and it's hard for us to lay hold of this. We need to remind ourselves that it's not about superiority or better than. It's never about that. It's about God-ordained roles to bring glory to Jesus Christ, to accomplish the mission of Christ. It's never about, submission in the Bible is never about superiority. Because submission within the community of Christ is based upon the community of God. God is a triune God. He is a triunity. He is a trinity. He has forever existed in community. And what we see in this triune relationship is mutual submission. Jesus, when he was on mission on the earth, said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I don't do my own will. I do the will of the Father. And yet we see even the Father subjecting to the Son. When it says in John chapter 5, and the Father does not judge anyone, he's given all judgment to the Son. And the Father sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings glory to and testifies of Christ. And so we see within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this mutual submission. And yet a biblical understanding of the Godhead is that they are equally God, equally one. There's no subordinationism. That's, a, that's an outright heresy. They are equal. And yet there is mutual submission, deference which honors. And it's beautiful. And it accomplishes the purposes of God in the world. And the church is to be a reflection of that. It's not about superiority. It's about God-given roles that accomplish the mission of Christ and honor Christ. And we need to move beyond that trite, juvenile thinking of this is because they're better than me or they think they're better than me or whatever. It's modeled upon the Godhead. And so we are subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In the same way then, as we think about obeying our leaders in the church and submitting to them, we do so for the sake of Christ. This entire book of Hebrews is Christological. It is all about Jesus. Don't rip this verse from the context. Everything in this book speaks of the superiority of Jesus. And it, it, it pictures him as our high priest. And yet there's to be submission in his church for his sake, his glory, his name, his purposes. And, and what becomes evident then in the New Testament is that for congregations to obey their leaders is an expression of their obedience to Christ. Put very bluntly with all humility, to obey and submit to our leaders is to obey and submit to Christ. Certainly to the degree that they are faithful to Christ. But conversely, to, to say it in a harder way now, to display a lack of submission, a lack of obedience, is to refuse to submit to Christ. 
is to refuse to obey Christ. And I, and I realize that's a slippery slope in our hearts and, and for the wickedness of humanity. And nevertheless, that is what the scriptures say. And because we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we can reconcile these things. We can do these things. We can practice these things by his strength and for his glory. And we see that this concept is not just isolated in Hebrews. It's experienced in the whole New Testament. Leaders in the church are to be obeyed and they are to be loved. Other places that speak about obeying leaders, Philippians, Paul says in chapter two, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he wrote to the church in Thessalonica and he said, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's clear among all the churches and throughout the New Testament that obedience to the leaders was the norm. It was expected. And that there were consequences for failure in this area. And then leaders are to be loved, the Bible says. 1 Timothy 5, 17. The elders who rule well, leaders doing a good job. We all know there's bad leaders and good leaders. That's the world. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. There's that overarching theme of one another, mutual submission, mutual edification, just as you are doing. But we request of you, in addition to, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord because of who Christ is and who give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work and live in peace with one another. Now, here's a sad thing that we see in the church. We see in our church an incessant reflection of culture. Culture is not all bad. Cultures are beautiful. You know, there are certain parts of culture that shouldn't be in the church. And we are totally American culture, a, a culture that is driven by personality and celebrity. Can't escape from that. We are a culture that is driven by personality and celebrity. And we seem, the church, seems to have an inability to break out of that mindset. We seem to have an inability to extricate ourselves from that mindset and culture that exalts personality and celebrity. And so here's what we have a tendency to do in the church with leaders. Number one, we have a tendency to put them on a pedestal. And then number two, we have a tendency to shoot them down from it. Why? 
Because that is what we do in culture. Someone is a great basketball player or a great actor or actress or a great singer and we put them on this pedestal. All of a sudden, their opinion about anything matters. And we exalt them to this level that we pander to them with millions and millions and millions of our dollars. And websites and books and tabloids and magazines are devoted to them and we buy them by the billions and we exalt them. And at the same time, we feel liberty to shoot them. We criticize them harshly and unfairly, inordinately, and unrealistically we criticize them. Every curve on their body, every ounce of cellulite, every word they ever say, every picture that's ever taken of them, every person they ever hang out with, every bad game that we have, we put them on the pedestal just so we could shoot them right down off of it. That is the same thing that the church does with its leaders. It inordinately exalts them and it unfairly shoots them. And it's so destructive within the church. It is so destructive. Don't exalt leaders in the church, but do love them, do appreciate them, Do obey them, submit to them, and honor them because of who Jesus is, not because of who they are. What does it mean to obey them? We all know what it means to obey. It means to follow the commands or the guidance of another. The leaders in the church, we follow their commands and their guidance. It means to comply with the demands or requests of one in authority. And the very word obey exists because of the tendency not to obey. And we wouldn't be told to obey our leaders in Hebrews 13 if we did not have a predisposition to not obeying them. It's to follow their guidance, to listen to their requests because they're in authority. What does it mean to submit? Similar idea. To yield oneself to the authority or the will of another. Again, it's not about superiority. It's exactly what Jesus did in Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way to accomplish the salvation of mankind, let this pass from before me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, thy will be done. Christ submitted to the will of the Father. In the garden, it's the same idea. It's a a willing act. It's not under obligation. And certainly it's an act of humility. It requires humility. It requires a focus on Christ and a trust in Christ. And again, The very word submission denotes the fact that there will be those who do not want to submit to the guidance, to the input, to the leading of the leaders in the church. Uh, Another pastor once told me when I was a young pastor, dealing with some difficulties, he clued me in on something. He said, I'll tell you when you'll know whether or not you're actually someone's pastor. Because there's a lot of people in the church and we'd be foolish to assume that really we're considered the pastor by all of them. He said, here's how you'll know for sure whether or not you're someone's pastor. 
the first time you tell them no. The first time they don't get their way. The way that they respond will tell you whether or not they view you as pastor, as leader, as elder in the church or not. What is clear in scripture is that leaders are not kings, but they do have delegated authority. It's not to be harsh authoritarianism. It's not to lord it over, but it is to lead people in the ways of Christ. That is why it is given. To lead the church in the ways of Christ by informing and by instructing, by explaining the word of God, and by helping us to apply it to our lives and our situations. Leaders are not to make their own laws, but we're to help us to apply the law of Christ. And the interpretations of any leader is not to be immediately and mindlessly received, but it's to be examined and weighed against the rest of scriptures. Like the Bereans in Acts 17 who heard Paul teach, they gladly received the word, and then they spent the evening searching the scriptures to see whether or not Paul was consistent with scripture in his teaching. And the Bible says that these were more noble of mind because they did so. That was the right mindset to weigh what is said by leaders against what is communicated in Scripture. But, but here's the caveat. You must search the Scriptures, but when you find the leading of the leader in the church to be consistent with the spirit of Scripture in the character of Christ, then you must respond rightly then that leading must be received not as merely the word of man, but the work of God. If it is consistent with Christ in Scripture, then it must be responded to responsibly. Paul highlights this in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, you guys are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God, listen, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Here Paul is rejoicing over the church in Thessalonica because they had a right response to the authoritative teaching of the word of God. And that is a responsibility in the text that we have before us today of the congregation that we are to rightly respond to leadership that leads according to the spirit of scripture and the character of Christ. I mean, what do you do when the sermon is given? What, what do you do when there's a call to prayer from the leadership of the church? We're all going to come pray. What, what do you do with that? Is that an option to you? What do you do when your leadership says, well, we're in a situation with the city and we need you to write letters to the city. Please, everyone take one. What do you do when we say, please, in our neighborhood, drive respectfully and carefully. Please carpool. Please ride your bikes. 
Is that an optional thing? Or are we obeying and submitting to leadership? What do we do when the leadership communicates that the vision that Christ has given us for this church is that everybody that calls this church home should be in a home group? What do you do when there's needs in the church that are presented by the leadership of the church and it's the responsibility of the church to do the work of the ministry? Do you honor Christ in obeying and submitting? Or do you reflect culture and exalting and shooting as it pleases you? In the same way that so many leaders have failed to lead well, so many congregations have failed to follow well. And both of these cause chaos in the church. The greatest joy for the leader is to see the church following Christ faithfully. This is that for which the leader lives. John the Apostle said in 3 John, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. Philippians, Paul said in chapter 2, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Again, he said to the church in Thessalonica, for who is, listen to this, who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? He's saying what makes us as leaders in the church most happy and full of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. And this is because of who Christ is. Because the church exists for his glory and his joy. And so his appointed leaders are sovereignly by his spirit given this heart. The joy of the leaders is the spiritual well-being of the church. Partly because that's what God has called them to do. It fills their sails. And partly because they will give an account so it chills their bones. That's what our verse says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Leaders in the church will stand before Jesus, and Jesus will say, I gave you a couple thousand, I gave you a couple, I gave you a dozen. For them I bled and died. How are they? I entrusted them to your care. Where are they? There is not a Christ-honoring, faithful leader in the church in the world who is not utterly terrified and tormented at the thought that we will stand before Christ and give an account for your spiritual well-being. As it says, they keep watch over your souls. The etymology of the word, the root of the word, has the idea to lose sleep in it. Leaders lose sleep over this kind of stuff. The response of the congregation, their responsiveness to, responsiveness to Christ and the word of God. 
And the fact that they, the leader, will stand before Jesus and give an account. And there is no greater grief in the life of the leader than when the church is shirking their responsibilities. And the greatest joy is when they're fulfilling their responsibilities to Jesus. And so it says in our text, with regards to obeying and submitting, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Because of the way that you respond, leaders should have great joy. And the command of Christ in the Bible for you today is to respond and to follow your leaders in such a way that it brings them joy and not grief. Literally, grief here means that deep inward groaning of pain. Jesus experienced this. Jesus did not have fits because of the Pharisees. He wasn't derailed by the devil, but he did weep because of wayward sheep. Satan could not conquer him, and the scribes and the Pharisees could not confound him, but the people could grieve him. And so we see Jesus standing over Jerusalem saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not have it. And Christ himself wept over Jerusalem. Not because of the devil or the leaders, but because of the people. And so the church is to do this, obey and submit, recognizing the special responsibility of its leaders and the need to encourage them and bring joy to them in this God-given role. And if individuals yield willingly to responsible Christ-led leadership, then it will make the leaders work a joy and it will be an advantage in the church. And so the text says, let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. And what we realize is that in this mutual community of submission, where there is God-ordained leadership and various roles and giftings, what we realize is this, that the responsibility to a large degree of the joy that will be experienced in the church depends not upon the leaders, but upon the congregation. That's the word of the Lord. Lord, thank you. That because of who you are, we can do these things. And Lord, it's a, it's a tall order and it's tough stuff. And I'd love to talk about something else. But it's your church and we want to get it right. And so Lord, help us. Lord, Give us wisdom from above, which is peaceable and pure, gentle and willing to yield. 
Make us a humble people who seek the well-being of others. Christ, make us like you. Humble. And yet in the same way, make our leaders like you and all of those who are entrusted. Teach us to rightly wield authority for your glory, Lord. That these things would be for your glory. Lord, forgive us for exalting and then shooting our leaders. Forgive us for our leaders that have erred so horribly, Lord. We could never express enough grief over that. But we ask that in this little church here, us together, that you give us good relationships. Accomplish this in us, Lord. In Jesus' name.